Nine against the nine. 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 A podcast about Lord of the Rings. Alright. Clark, who's your favorite character in Lord of the Rings? Oh. I don't know. Mm. Mary or Pippin? <laughs> I thought you were about to say Mary. That's a funny answer. Um, Mary, I like Mary and Pippin. Word, because I it was it was Gimli for me when I was younger, and it's undoubtedly Gandalf now. Do you feel similar kinship to Gandalf? I feel really close to Gandalf. I don't think I feel nearly as close as you do to Gandalf. Hmm. Um, we're talking about Gandalf. And we're not just talking about Gandalf. We're talking about a group of individuals. Yeah. Sure. Commonly called wizards or Istari, right? From the Elvish? I'm not sure Istari is mentioned in the... Is it story? Does the story come up? I don't know. I bet it gets mentioned in the like at the end of the Return of the King and the, all the notes in the appendages that yeah, nobody I'd, reads. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But we're talking about wizards, and I want to bring up the that wizard is also a British slang term meaning superb, excellent, or wonderful. Hashtag Lord of the Flies. <laughs> they say that in Lord of the Flies. A wizard. Lot. Yeah. yeah. Wizard. Oh, wizard. What is a wizard in English? Do we look that up? In a, do you want a dif- dictionary definition? Do you want the no, off the, the head? Yep. A wizard is, I would say, commonly thought of as a fantasy person who does magic, typically with a pointy hat, a staff. Does this come from Gandalf and Lord of the Rings? Oh, I don't know. Um, sometimes a wand, cloaks, robes, mysticism. Yeah, I hadn't thought... Magic. I hadn't thought too much about... Um, like talking about wizards but now that we're doing it maybe we should briefly like you said does it come from Gandalf who's the archetype this is a game I play in class a lot when we talk about the word archetype um, or the notion of an archetype who is the archetypal wizard and I guess I mean in the English like in the English literary tradition I think there are a couple like really obvious answers and then there's some other kind of oblique ones obvious answer being Gandalf I think uh Obviouser answer for Merlin. Me. Yeah, that's the one. I think Gandalf couldn't exist without Merlin. Yeah, probably. Ditto, obviously. Um, what's his name? That's helpful. The dude from <laughs> Hogwarts. Harry Potter. Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Yeah. And let's talk about a different one. <clears throat> um. Doctor John D. You know that guy? Nope. Elizabethan uh, scholar, alchemist, spy all-around kind of weird dude he uh communicated with angels using a little scrying stone nope you know got a, like a download from the angels whole alphabet the Enoch, the enochian alphabet he's a magician he's uh he got an alphabet from the angels him and edward kelly yeah is that like joseph smith and mormonism it's and like that tablets? it's a lot like that yeah except it's english and it's a couple hundred years before that mm-hmm yeah, interesting connection. There's also, uh, I guess, a common common use English. I mean, I would hear people say this, like, oh, the, like that person's a wizard at what he does. Like, oh, he's a wizard at carpentry. He's a wizard at his craft. The wizard sort of, like, is a high-level, high-level operation. And there's that sense of magic 
which maybe maybe the idea of magic is that someone like can do this thing has this kind of power which other people don't have so they're kind of like awestruck by it, like oh wow you could do that yeah. and our understanding certainly from childhood is that it you can literally have this energy like balls of light lightning bolts all of that sure which uh which but perhaps more realistically is like high high skill and understanding of a craft a thing mm -hmm. the way the way the way the world operates etc yep. a deep practice sure uh, mastery mastery also there's I, I don't want to turn this into a podcast about magic but but like it's kind of is because wizards do magic yeah and so i was thinking we should define magic right do you have a definite i can think of no two. i think i think you need to define this because okay, you like have changed my idea of what magic is rather than the like energy you like you hold out your hand and then like light and energy swirl around and then you throw a fireball or whatever yeah so I can think of two kind of classic formulations of what magic is. One is uh, the art of transforming reality in accordance with one's will. That's like the standard 20th century Alastair Crowley formulation. Is that like Hobbes wanting a sandwich? Wishing for a sandwich? And getting Maybe. a sandwich? And that's magic? Well, so another definition that people throw around is doing the impossible. Like this thing is, it, like you said, it it appears impossible to other people until you do it. Everything's impossible until it gets done. And the right, like throwing, like giving a demo and throwing pots on the wheel, and then people have never done it. And they're like, "How do you do? Like how? I don't even get it." I'm like, oh, it's magic. But right, it's something incomprehensible to them at that moment. Yeah, but it's not exactly the same as technique or technique, right? It's like um, because it doesn't have a co magic. Often people talk about it having you, things are occurring in a non-logical, non-causal way. Like I, uh, it's very, it's technically accurate that I can gain a skill with my body and mind through practice, but you know, it's, it's less clear how a dream could influence something down the road without my, or like a ritual or, or some form of meditation or visualization, how that could achieve something outside of my body. It's easier to see as magic when it occurs outside the body. But I think ultimately also the collapse of the, this might be just my vein, the collapse of the like subject object duality illusion uh so what? like yeah like the difference between what's me and what's outside me is an illusion that notion i think arises in a magical practice so you're saying that what's outside and inside are the same yeah because it, that they're different is an illusion meaning they're actually the same yeah and that's like a kind of a standard philosophical bent that floats around in a lot of traditions not just magical traditions but you you know the notion, right? Like uh, the difference between it's. I mean, a simple one would be the difference between me and a loved one collapses. You know, we feel like we're one and the same. Or or you're like out, when you get you're married, you're one flesh, one soul, one body. That's a formulation of it. Sure. Yeah, you're out in the garden and like you got you, you're you you know like uh kind of like also maybe like twins as they grow up they have like invent their own language of communication or sometimes that idea of. Like you have a dream and someone like a loved one also has the same dream sure. or something really similar at the same time. Or like you wake up and you're like, oh my God, like, I don't know why I'm awake, but at that moment, something Something's happened to someone yeah. else. That you Those know. are things that have been documented throughout history and cannot be demonstrated in a materialist causal right. way. And magic is part of that, the notion of magic. And I think kind of everyone knows, this is another thing, Alan Chapman in his book, Advanced Magic for Beginners, says... Um, you know, like question one, what's magic? 
question you know answer everybody knows what magic is let's like let's move on it's hard to define but you all everyone knows what magic is that's why we have a word for it i know that's glib but you know magic when you see it yeah is that like like art well i don't know what art is but i know it when i see it magic and art are are definitely adjacent functions right Mm. there's a great magician named ramsey dukes who has formulated sort of like a four quadrant chart based i think on a jungian uh like um psychological profile chart anyways the quadrants in this chart are art science magic and religion I was going to bring up uh, religion because I feel like the like manifesting something outside your body by meditation or whatever like that seems also like prayer like you pray for something mm-hmm. and that seems like the same kind of thing and then but then that also gets a little sticky because like are you calling religion and prayer magic and people who practice religion might be like it's not magic it's it's religion prayer or like I don't know it's, sure there's sort of like it does connect it's adjacent to the spiritual world or like maybe not adjacent maybe in it one big difference is in a prayer you're saying please to a being that's external to yourself at least in um my experience with christianity and there's that easy like there's actually a man with a long white haired and flowy beard and robes he's he's kind of like a wizard without the pointy hat and staff definitely and doesn't have a wand but can create any like anything everything did create everything that seems you mean that's the god not yeah. the priest you're talking about god not the priest yeah god the father and right christianity the, the priest can beg on behalf of the people maybe beg more effectively beg but, advocate to, but like, god can say no a little closer right yeah but in in magic and so i think this i don't know if it's pointed out by murray bookchin maybe magic is like science in that the notion is there's an operation and it will achieve a an end. It's That's independent. Really... It's you don't need to um, you don't need to propitiate an individual. You work the you work the will and the act oneself in the in nature. Like formulaic, like a formula. Do yeah. this, then this, mm-hmm. and this happens. Yeah. Although the formula, like this, is a big point of not contention, but a point of. I don't know, a difference in magical practices is like how precise do those formulas need to be? You know? Mm-hmm. Same with see, art. Same like, with art, right? Yeah, see, see baking, see firing yeah. a kiln, mixing glazes. Because there's a formula and recipe for both like bread, cupcakes, all that that you mix. How accurate does it need to be? It needs to be really accurate with baking, but like, eh, it'll work. It'll work if it's not entirely. Same thing with like mixing glazes and all that. And then you put this powdery thing on and then you heat it up really hot and then magic happens and it cools and comes out brightly colored and like glass yeah but also science happens right that's clearly yeah, a science happens. process but i think the magic piece might be i'm envisioning muffins like in i can see in the future muffins even though they don't exist mm-hmm. they've never existed this particular muffin has never existed and i'm going to enact that using the tools available to me i think that's the part that's magic Science and art and religion are all related to that, but if I had to pin one part of that of that baking process to magic, it would be the inception of the muffin. Which goes back to that Calvin and Hobbes comic you mentioned last episode, where Calvin says, like, if you had one wish, what would it be? I'd wish for all this and, like, blah, blah, power. And Hobbes was like, I'd wish for a sandwich. Yeah. And then he gets his sandwich. That's magic. Yeah. And, well, that's magic, but he's really lowered his expectations, too. 
Right. So what? Here's another. This realistic gotta, magic. Realism. Yeah, I want to move on from magic, but there's this. <laughs> someone pointed out like the 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 trick, the magic trick, as it were, is like someone's like, um, I need money, so I'm gonna do, I'm gonna learn magic because that I can make money with magic, right? I can turn lead into gold. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you start the magical process and you conjuring. Uh, you practice and you you engage with the you know you do your acts your your operation. Yeah. And then um, what happens is you eventually get to a place where you don't you realize something about yourself. Maybe you fuck up a bunch of times, like you get money, but it's it's the wrong amount, or like it's it's uh it causes more problems, yeah, or whatever. But by the end of the operation, which could be your whole life, at the end of the operation, you no longer you realize that you don't need money, and so you're like the discomfort that you originally like the original proposition was I'm uncomfortable because I don't have money I need to change that so I I pursue magic to you think you're getting money but to, in, like ultimately for your comfort you are solving the comfort problem right and that's the magic trick you've been transformed into a different kind of thing that no longer needs the money that's interesting looking at um, society and that something like 80% of millennials Oh, 30%, 80%. We're like, oh, like one of my real life goals is to be rich and famous. Right. It was like 30%. Yeah. And if it was 80%, like, like, like well, it's, it's not, even at 30%, it's, it's not going to happen. It's sustainable at 5%. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to happen. Right. But yeah, I, so I wanted to be rich and famous when I was 18. Mm-hmm. Back to the yearbook thing. I wrote, you know, favorite book, Lord of the Rings, favorite quotation, <laughs> judge not lest you be judged. Where do I see myself? Excuse me. Where do I see myself in 10 years? Uh, rich and famous or whatever right fame and fortune but this is like the whole idea of manifestation manifesting will come back to Gandalf because Gandalf I feel is manifesting the entire quest in these books Gandalf is manifesting the entire quest Gandalf is manifesting the whole quest and as the magician the resident magic user that's his like prerogative or zone to manifest reality in terms of the story and the structure of the story, a character, yeah, no one else, a demigod, than, right? Sauron is the only other character in the book that wields nearly as much global influence by the end of the book, right? Right. Or Saruman, right? They're all, yeah. So it's time to get into this book called *The Unfinished Tales*, and not for long. Which I have not read. Sure, and it's not part of the Lord of the Rings, and it's not part of the Silmarillion, and it was, uh, I think it was published in 1954. I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? Does that mean after... Wasn't Lord of the Rings in 54 as well? I don't know. The, uh... <laughs> I don't when, know why I'm When did Tolkien it. Copyright 1980 is what it says, so yeah. I'm wrong, wrong, wrong. That's well after... Yeah, I don't know, 54 demise. is probably Lord of the Rings or whatever. Yeah, correct. So... Yeah, it's after he's dead, and un- here's what I think happened. I think that Unfinished Tales is the first, uh, like, post-mortem? That's not the right word, right? Post-what? After someone's dead? Post- posthumous. Po- yeah, posthumous. Posthumous. So I ha- I didn't go back and reread, like, the preface and the publisher's note, but I think what happened is this. I think that, I think that after Tolkien dies, they're putting together all his collected old stuff, and it starts with Unfinished Tales, which is interesting and then it it develops into like a series of books Lost Tales 1 and 2 Lays of Beleriand and then 6 to 6 to 10 others there's like 10 or 12 of them do you know that series by Christopher Tolkien 
No, I know that he published, he, he worked on it and published some things. Yeah, so I think we're looking at like 300-page books that come out periodically over 20 years that are like just extended dives into early drafts. And one one comment I have on like the idea of that is like there's a lot out there. And I got this idea from listening to someone on someone on YouTube, some other podcaster, but he was he mentioned that there's he brought to my attention there's an immensely large world where it's not there's mystery involved in the writing. It's not like the world of Aragon where it's very seemingly concrete and like oh this is this and this means that and this came from that where there's more out there which allows mystery and it's more of a realistic world yeah and part of that is is that he is writing it throughout I don't know his whole life like 60 years probably Yeah, maybe, maybe less maybe he's writing over the period of 40 years but some of it starts out as fairy tale stuff that's not like if you read it it's not inherently grounded in, in, a, in this particular universe that we're calling Middle Earth um, it develops like it the way that mythology develops it develops a more concrete form as it approaches publication so I guess like then think of Tolkien as a writer as an artist as a wizard perhaps manifesting this it's all in his mind and like as as someone who creates work you make this one thing and then you like make another thing you draw this one series and you keep drawing that and when you look back at your body of work there is like a style that's connected that connects them all there's a style that runs through the style and development. And if he's a writer cre- inventing and creating these worlds and languages, it would make sense that he tries to weave through and weave them. It would make sense that he tries to weave them together. Right. So like a wizard to him when he's writing in the 30s is not necessarily the same as the Astari because he's got the stock character of wizard Right. available to him but then by the 50s he's developed this very specific concrete vision again I don't know we're not really experts on Tolkien's creative process these are just speculations so this section of Unfinished Tales is called the Astari and the note says the fullest account of the Astari was written as it appears in 1954 there's my 1954 number um, I give it here in full and will refer to it subsequently as the essay on the Astari so it starts with wizard is a translation of Quenya Istar, Sindarin Ithron, one of the members of the order, as they called it, claiming to possess and exhibiting eminent knowledge of the history and nature of the world. The translation, though suitable in its relation to wise and other ancient words of knowing, uh, sorry, the translation, though suitable in its relation to wise and other ancient words of knowing, similar to that of Istar in Quenya, is not perhaps happy since the Heron Istarion or Order of Wizards was quite distinct from the wizards and magicians of later legend. They belonged solely to the Third Age and then departed, and none save maybe Elrond, Curdan, and Galadriel discovered of what kind they were or whence they came. By which I think he means that when we talk about wizards like Merlin or uh, Dumbledore or like other wizards, John Dee, those wizards are not like these wizards, the Astari, because they are specifically of a, they're from of a specific origin, the Astari. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, so who who are they? Do you and having, so you've not read the Silmarillion. Correct. Do you know who they are? Where they came from? The Astari. Yeah, Gandalf and Saruman and Radagast and two other dudes. The blue ones, the blue yeah. wizards, 
Um, what do I know? I, this my understanding is that the Astari, these wizards, the blue, two blue wizards, Gandalf the Gray, Saruman the White, Radagast the Brown, are were sent, and maybe Saruman, Sauron as well, and Sauron as well, were sent fr- by the some other people that start with a V, and I sort of like see them as like the demigods that are sent to Earth to do a thing. Yeah. I don't know, help the races of Earth establish a, a pseudo Garden of Eden or whatever. Ooh, interesting. Bring them, usher them into the Fourth Age or or defeat Sauron or, or all of the above. Wasn't Sauron also one of the... Like, no, he's of the same rank, but he is not of the same issue. Isn't he like, sort of like the same level? He's one down yeah. from the gods. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. So here's what the Astari says. Uh, or the essay on the Astari. Um, they first appeared in Middle Earth about the year 1000 of the Third Age. <clears throat> so also, that not they haven't been around for very long. Although they've arguably been around the whole time, but they're on Middle Earth with the beards and the robes and stuff. In the Third Age, third not age. the Second Age. So this is already after Sauron was defeated That's in the way Last late. Alliance. This is way late. Yeah, right? super late. They first appeared in Middle Earth about the year 1000 of the Third Age, but for long they went about in simple guise, as if they were men. As it were of men already old in years, but hale in body, travelers and wanderers, gaining knowledge of Middle-earth and all that dwelt therein, but revealing to none their powers and purposes. In that time men saw seldom and heeded them, saw them seldom and heeded them little. But as the shadow of Sauron began to grow and take shape again, they became more active and sought ever to contest the growth of the shadow and to move elves and men to beware of their peril. Um, and then men realized they can't die over generations they realize these dudes are not dying and <clears throat> they start if, to get paranoid I wonder if that's why Gandalf moves around so much so they don't know I don't know he becomes more like a legend probably yeah hides his immortality so if we go chasing the mythology through the Silmarillion uh, right now and looking for quotes it'll take us all day so I'm going to establish what I think is the case you you referred to a group of people uh, with a, a V name Yep, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna call them the Valar. There you go. And I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. And I'm gonna say that they live in Valinor, and I'm gonna say that that is in the in the distant west, across the sea, across the sea, past the Grey Havens. Oh yeah, way past the Grey. Way Havens. past, past where Numenor used to be. Keep going wherever that is. Yeah, yeah, that's a Second Age destruction, right? The end of the Second Age is the destruction of Numenor. Either way, back in the in the beginning. According to the Silmarillion, there's like one guy, or not, he shouldn't be called a guy necessarily. Eru, Iluvatar, different names because there's a couple languages at play. That's like a god, singular, and through... Monotheistic-ish, yeah, or like uh, a unified intelligence. Or like, not like Zeus is like the king of gods. No, a singular intelligence that creates through the metaphor or motif of orchestral music creates the world and each of a variety so the Valar are the offspring the first level offspring of that being you could you could think of them as angels I they're more like classical gods because they have domains like the Greek and like Greek gods mm-hmm. the type of West Western classical yeah they have domains um, one of them creates dwarves like alone so it's like they have that much power 
and they are active and they they help bring into the world the, the like whatever it's called i forget what they call middle earth arda i think it's called arda the, the world the world is called yeah, the world arda? is called arda and they created one of them is melkor who will later be called morgoth he's the like quintessential satan figure he is the the spirit of discord trying to flatten that which is jagged and, and jagify that which was flat and uh there's fight they fight they fight they fight 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 right and then at some point he starts messing with the creations of the of of Iluvatar the firstborn are the elves and the secondborn are the are the the men and presumably all the other stuff that character Morgoth becomes the first dark lord he's a villain he's the villain of the first age yeah i've heard of him Sauron is he so so Melk Melkor Morgoth they're the same person we'll call him Morgoth Morgoth is um he's a Valar he's one of the Valar he's the highest ranking evil dark lord ever okay and he is uh chained and then unchained and then I think totally chained again at the end of the first age or like removed beyond the bounds of the world Sauron is his lieutenant so we so Morgoth could we draw a parallel to like Morgoth and Satan the devil and Sauron and Beelzebub second in command if you want yeah I don't know that there's a good comparison it might be even better to think of him as like well if we're thinking of angels and fallen angels like that I don't know they, I think the relationship might be more Sith Lordy more like a oh. Sith Lord you know there can only be only one evil dude with an evil lieutenant and then when the evil dude dies the evil lieutenant becomes shifts bumps got up Palpatine and Vader yeah um, so Palpatine was Morgoth and Sauron is Vader none of these words are going to work like the word God isn't going to work perfectly but Morgoth is a Valar that next level down I think they're called the Maiar and I will when I stop the tape next I will I will check okay. I think they're called the Maiar seems seems right and that so that's like sub sub boss they're like Demi, Demi, ain't they're uh, they're level three. If you consider Iluvatar the one number, the level one, Valar level two, Maiar level three. Yeah, but level level one's only one. Yeah, it's barely a level at all. I do see. I do kind of feel like the wizards are like demigods or like half god, like yeah, half gods, part gods who because they have this additional power and they're walking on the earth and they were sent to the earth. Here's a quick bit from the Silmarillion. Uh, of the mire with the valor came other spirits whose being also began before the world of the same order as the valor but of less degree these are the mire the people of the valor and their servants and helpers so that's that's who they are so an important distinction here or not distinction an important point here that i think uh, like casual readers of the Lord of the Rings or viewers of the film might not get Gandalf uh, Sauron Saruman Radagast and I think even the Balrog I think they're all Maiar I think that they're all kind of on the same level and I think that's why Sauron is freaked the fuck out I think that he knows what he's up against and I think that the notion is that the Valar because the Valar after the first age after the end of the first age they're basically like we're not we're not no more interventions. So Sauron's freaked out because 
the Valar are intervening by sending the Maiar. Yeah, and it, it, they're at the same level as him. And this, he's had more. He's had more like tactical experience in Middle Earth. So what? What year is it that this is all taking place? When they show up in the Third Age, one thousand in the Third no, Age. Yeah, they show up at one thousand, but the book starts at what year in the Third Age? Which book? Lord of the Rings. Yes, Fellowship. Three thousand something. Three thousand something. I'm guessing. That should be. So the Maiar have been around for a couple thousand years. The Maiar have been around since the beginning, but they've been in Valinor. Sorry, the Astari. Yeah. Who are Maiar? They are, and I and this is an interesting thing that I I will get into soon. How much Gandalf knows about his origin, and did they undergo so the, some sort? Of, it's almost like in transit from Valinor to the shores of Middle Earth, they underwent something like um like a great forgetting or like a like an amnesia. The Astari? Yeah, that's my sense. I don't I don't know that they ever can speak like they're never. You never hear Gandalf and Radagast or Gandalf and Saruman being like, look. Remember when we were back in Valinor the past 9,000 years? You know, like, blah, 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 blah. Um, we're Maiar. They never talk like that. Maybe the Starry are like Delta Force sent to, like, infiltrate and, like, become part of wherever. Yeah. Like, sleeper agents to prevent this this evil dude, Sauron, from gaining control or whatever. I think you're right. And maybe they don't talk about, oh, remember 9,000 years ago and in, in wherever, the, wherever the hell we were? That would be like Delta Force being like, oh yeah, remember back in the States when blah, 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 blah. Like, they'll get back there eventually. This is just a moment in time. This is their mission. Well, you've used the word sleeper agent, and I don't know exactly how that word is used, but there's almost an element of, of an actual sleep. Like, kind of like the the reality slash conspiracy reality of like MK Ultra style assassins who don't know they're assassins, right? Who literally have been reprogrammed program to believe or think certain things um Gandalf does speak plainly of it at one or two points but um, plainly of what of his origin the nature of his being when does he where does he do that we'll do that soon he says something to Faramir he might say something else later um okay and I we don't want to do that now well maybe but just quickly if there's yeah okay so I'm not going to read any more from on the Astari essay on the Astari but we've established what Gandalf and Saruman and them are uh, and I think that's a surprise that's a surprise to people maybe that haven't read the books too deeply or haven't thought too deeply I don't know I don't know maybe it's not maybe everyone knows that okay, so what else you got anything you, we're getting into the list now what else do you want to talk about with Gandalf or the Astari in general let's talk about the Astari in general and Gandalf before we talk about Radagast and Saruman and the blue dudes Okay. I got a fool's... I want to talk about a fool's hope. What does that mean? The quote, a fool's hope. There was never much hope. Ah, oh, just a fool's hope. And, like, Puppet Master. Gandalf as Puppet Master? Gandalf as Puppet Master and manifesting the entire quest as his magic. Yeah. Um, he catches a lot, of, a lot of hate for his Puppet Mastery, huh? I'm talking about um, people who are suspicious and paranoid about Gandalf. Men. Namely men, right? Theoden. What's he call him? Stormcrow? Uh, Every time you come around here, things are always going wrong. Wormtongue calls him Stormcrow. Gandalf Stormcrow. Do they call him Gandalf or do they call him... Greyhame. Greyhame? Greyhame. Yeah. 
They call him Greyhaim? The Rohirrim call him Greyhaim. He, or he's known in Rohan as Gandalf Greyhaim. And they don't like him in Denethor in Gondor also. Paranoid. Oh, yeah. Paranoid. Does not like him. Yeah, because he's right. He, the dude is uh, full of machinations, right? Define machinations? I don't know. Like For uh, those of our listeners who don't know. I don't, I don't know that I can define machinations. Aha, for those of us who don't know, myself included. I use the word machinations here to mean scheming. Scheming and uh, Denethor is plotting. Scheming. No, get, Denethor he, thinks Gandalf is scheming. Because he is. He's orchestrating a war. He's orchestrating the defeat of Sauron. He's also yes. orchestrating to dethrone Denethor. That's another thing, statecraft. He's deeply employed in statecraft. Yeah. I mean, yes... Yes, he is working to dethrone, not that Denethor is thrown because right. he's a steward. He's not even, right. But to remove power from the steward and put it back to, put it back to restore it to the actual throne and the king. Yeah, the restored kingdom. Restore it to how it was and how it should always be. Yeah. For those of you that are not watching this, Clark's being sarcastic, I think. <laughs> So, and I think what you mean is hashtag supremacy, right? Like, we need to get back at that in episode seven. There's something... There's a link there. Silly to take it for granted that Aragorn is the rightful ruler rather than um, the locals. Not that Denethor is doing it. He's not doing it well. He is not doing it well. Is it your contention? If we live inside the fantasy novel, yeah. He is objectively a bad steward. Is he's he? Cor- well, he's f- he's corrupted by the Palantir. He's been in communication with Sauron. Oh, yeah, for sure. Your understanding is that he's in communication with Sauron or Saruman, or both. Do you know? What's he been looking at in that Palantir up there, Denethor? I think he's in connection with Sauron. He's connected to Sauron and seeing the, those workings. And I think Sauron is ma- mainly just working a psyop on him, right? Yes. Just fucking with his head. Like, Psychological operation. Yeah, trying to confuse him and make him think that he, it's hopeless. That Sauron's... Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into this in the evil episode, but that's his main... That's his weapon. Pessimism and anxiety and fear. Right, which is why Denethor wears armor under his cloak and a sword the whole time and he even sleeps in it because he... Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, got, he's got some things going on, Denethor. And Sauron wants to turn Denethor against Gandalf. Gandalf is Sauron's greatest enemy. So then that... that I mean, the quote I want to bring in is from Denethor to Gandalf when he was I think like basically yelling at him for sending off sending the ring off into Mordor with two halflings Mm -hmm. and he said you know it's just a it's a fool's hope it's a hope but it's a fool's hope Gandalf says it to Denethor or Denethor Denethor says it to Gandalf yeah which is funny how that's exactly opposite of wise man right it's actually a wise man's hope a wizard's hope in the book, like also in the book later on, when Gandalf's on the ramparts looking out over the, he, uh, he he's talking with Pippin, and Pippin asks like something. Well, was there any hope? And, and Gandalf says, "Well, just a fool's hope, as I've been told." Like referring mm. to that comment from Denethor. In the movies, Denethor does not say that, and it seems much more, more like a tongue-in-cheek because there's that same moment on the ramparts where where Pippin asks, "Was there ever any hope?" And Gandalf says kind of like cleverly, like, oh, just a fool's hope. Yeah, so... Which brings, the, which brings the quote into the movies, and I think it's a, a good scene, but it's 
the nature of it has changed because Denethor is the original one to say it. You're saying, I think, that in the movie, Gandalf is depicted as maybe being a little more self-depreciating uh, and not... not. So I want to talk... This is a good segue into... I want to talk about Gandalf as like a kind of naive or vulnerable character, especially in contrast to Saruman, who's like humorless... Um, yeah, totally that, convinced that he's right all the time and and uh like he's truly naive. Saruman is truly naive, but he doesn't understand that about himself. Whereas Gandalf is very open to failure. Yeah, he's he's open he does have that sense of humor because I feel like that in the movies especially like that Just a Fool's Hope like that shows humor and it conveys a sense of humor with Gandalf. It's mm-hmm. a little different in the in the books. I'm not sure quite how I feel about it in the books. You're um, not sure if he's you're not sure if he's as humorous. humorous. As like in that moment, but sure, not I wonder moment. if if Sauron's rigidity is like and like connects with that whatever the platitude of absolute power corrupts absolutely. He's humorless. He's rigid. He will snap and break. Where Gandalf's a little more flexible. Yeah, humorful. Yeah, we were talking recently about the Tao. I feel like we're always talking about the Tao. I can't name the one, but one of those chapters near the end, in the Mitchell translation, it says, uh, you know, a, a, a stiff, a dead reed will, will a, an old husk of a reed will crackle and snap, and a young, a young, uh, fresh, yeah, let's, yeah, Clark's pulling out the text. So this is from uh, Stephen Mitchell's translation of the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. Uh, Section 76, men are born soft and supple, dead they are stiff and hard, plants are born tender and pliant, dead they are brittle and dry. Thus, whoever is stiff and inflexible is a disciple of death, whoever is soft and yielding is a disciple of life. The hard and the stiff will be broken, the soft and supple will prevail. I think it's pretty obvious that Saruman is a disciple of death, right? His behavior in Orthanc demonstrates that. He's deforesting. Um, yeah. And I think Gandalf's a disciple of life. And we see this, the the rigidity and the flexibility, the pliability in their nature and their personality. So let's get through some e- examples of that with Gandalf, right? Um, I've got a couple examples written down and then some other, like, just in my head. Um... First of all, Gandalf's always getting captured, beat up, killed, crucified, and then he always comes back. That's like a, a gimmick with Gandalf recurring in all these books, including even The Hobbit, right? Even in The Hobbit, he disappears. He disappears. I mean, he, yeah, he goes away. Yeah, while he's gone, he's being isn't he being held captive in... Uh, or he's going to Dol Guldur? Yeah, he's on a mission to Dol Guldur to root out the necromancer. That is Dol Guldur is the name of that place? Inside Mirkwood. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I guess he's not yeah, ca- yeah. he's not captured there, right? No. Thorin's father is captured there, right? Yep. He's going Thrain. to break. Yeah. Whatever. Um, but yeah, he's like, where'd Gandalf go? Oh, what if Gandalf's dead? Um, that comes up a lot, and I think that wouldn't come up with Saruman. It's like Saruman is there; he's stable until he's dead. Kind of. Um, okay. I think Gandalf is most vulnerable at the western gate of Moria where he in the in the moment where he doesn't understand the riddle um he loses his temper with Pippin he pouts 
He ponders, he despairs. This is as there's the closed gate. They've walked. There's the mirror lake. They're trying to get into yeah. Moria. Yeah. The, and the rock, the stone gate is closed. They He finds it, but then it says, oh, these gates are blah, 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 closed. Speak friend and enter. And he's like, oh, you just speak the password. And like, I know all of this. I'm in charge. I'm leading the group. Yeah. And he can't get it. And he's like, oh, yeah. Shit. And the point not being he, it's not that he's flexible in that scene. It's that we see it. We, we he's like a um, object of ridicule, um, especially if you've read it more than once. You know the riddle, and I I suspect a clever reader could figure like get the joke. Like you have to say friend in Quenya or whatever. Don't don't quote me, nerds, that it's Quenya. It might be a different Elvish language. It's Elvish. Yes. Why would it be in Elvish? Because the, it goes back to the time when oh, the elves right. and the dwarves were on friendly terms. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like. And if he read it in Elvish, rather than... If you read it in Elvish, it would have opened because he would have read the word friend. So then what does he have to... What language is he supposed to use? Elvish. But it's written in Elvish? It's written in Elvish. This is my understanding. It's written in Elvish because he he reads it, but he translates it for other people. Oh, yeah, right. He says it in common. Yeah. Westeron. Right. Yeah. Kind of like my Latin teacher would like have a Latin text and he would just like translate it and we'd he'd talk I in came, English. I saw I can't And then we're like, are you is that Latin? And he's like, yeah, he holds it up, it's all Latin and we're like, wow, that's impressive. So maybe it's Gandalf being like, look, haha, I can read Elvish. Let sure. me translate it for you ignorant right. people. I always thought that that scene would have been more funny if one of the hobbits was like, oh, maybe it means speak the word friend. And but and I I think that's such a better version that I often think that's the version until I reread the book. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, who's going to catch Gandalf in this, like, you know, um, like, show him up. But no one does. It's Gandalf. He figures it out. No one else figures it out. He figures it out? He does. In the book? Yeah. Because I have a... I, I can't recall... I can recall the scene in the movie, like, very well, but not the books. These are the dangers of watching the film. Yeah, for sure. Listeners, once in, you start watching them, you can't get it out of your head. Because <laughs> in the film, I think it's Pippin who walks up. Which like adds that dynamic, Pip and Gandalf. But he says like, or was it Frodo? It was I don't know. It was anyone. It was a it was a Hobbit who walks up and says like, well, what's the Elvish word for friend? Mm-hmm. And Gandalf's like blah blah, and then it opens. I don't know the blah blah is my <laughs> <Nerds>. <laughs> He's like blah blah. Don't hate me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, so you're saying that Peter Jackson restaged the scene. Makes it more humorous, like you sure, want. Sure, it makes it, yeah, it does. It makes it more humorous. It also makes Gandalf even more vulnerable. So then, and there's then a, there's that other scene in Moria where there's the crossroads. They're like two paths, and he's like, "I have no memory of this place." And again, they sit, and everyone waits patiently for Gandalf to figure it yeah. out as the leader of the fellowship. Yeah, I um. Later inside that night, he does two more kind of human things. And so, and these things kind of show some things about Gandalf's nature. He tries to get to sleep, but he can't because he's stressed out. And given that, like, we can get into this in another episode, maybe, given that it seems almost like elves don't even need to sleep, Legolas often just, like, posts up. And I know in the D&D metaverse that elves don't need to sleep they just like meditate or whatever so I th- and I think that springs out of this but I think it's curious that Gandalf is like annoyed that he can't sleep so if elves only meditate that's sort of like like my thought my mind went to like Tibetan monks who mm-hmm. like who do sleep but they spend 
hours in meditation. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Gandalf can't sleep, wakes up, and he gets up to smoke. Uh, can we have a page? Can we, is there, can we have a quote or reading on that? The moment when he can't sleep? Do you we, know where that is? We can. I don't know where it is. So I'll stop it in a second. You can find it. Um, he gets up and he can't sleep, and then he smokes. And I think it's interesting that he, he's, because he's addicted to pipe weed. My man is always smoking pipe weed. Um, and you think, and, and are we saying that's to like a tobacco product or like a marijuana product? It kind of doesn't matter. Um, I tend to think it's a tobacco product because I think that Tolkien was smoking tobacco, right? And I don't, but it it really plays like a weed thing in a weed friendly context. It's probably tobacco. They call it. It says in something in one of the appendices. It says it's probably a nicotine nicotiana. Right. So it's like a buzz, like like. Isn't it like, doesn't it, it's akin to caffeine, it kind of like, like, had different state of mind where like, buzzing a little bit? You're talking about the nature of nicotine as a drug? Yeah, nicotine, tobacco, smoking a pipe. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, I don't know that it matters to me what it does for Gandalf so much as that he is addicted to it, and that he has a compulsion to do it, which is a very body thing. My point being that Gandalf has a body, he needs to sleep, and he can be addicted to things. The body can perish. I'm not sure. Uh, shortly, we'll have to talk about his impending fight with the Balrog. But uh, I'm compelled by him needing to s- sleep and smoke uh, functions of his physical body. While we're in Moria, we might. As- I'm going to stop it so you can find that thing. So we found the spot where Gan- it says Gandalf can't sleep. Um, it's Fellowship of the Ring, A Journey in the Dark. My page is 352. And the Ballantines, 409. Actually, Gandalf was awake, though lying still and silent. He was, he was deep in thought, trying to recall every memory of his former journey in the mines, and considering anxiously the next course that he should take. A false turn now would, might be disastrous. After an hour, he rose up and came over to Pippin. Get into a corner and have a sleep, my lad, he said in a kindly tone. You want to sleep, I expect. I cannot get a wink, so I may as well do the watching. I know what is the matter with me, he muttered, as he sat down by the door. I need smoke. I have not tasted it since the morning before the snowstorm. The last thing Pippin saw as sleep took him was a dark glimpse of the old wizard huddled on the floor, shielding a glowing chip in his gnarled hands between his knees. The flicker for a moment showed his sharp nose and the puff of smoke. This is reckless as fuck, I think, to smoke in this situation. He's like, we're here! I don't know, they make fires and stuff down there, don't they? I don't think they make fires. He has a... His staff gives light. Yeah. Magically. Yeah. Like an LED. It's also funny, when you read that, I was just reminded of this, like, kind of charming dynamic between Gandalf and Pippin. He's... They're always kind of juxtaposed, huh? Yeah. Fool of a took. He's always mad at Pippin. Pippin's always the one taking the brunt. Yeah, he rides with Pippin to Minas Tirith there. He connected. Pippin runs and finds him when Faramir's under threat of death. Yeah. But he's he's dogging on Pippin from the beginning, I feel like. Yeah. Alright, so they're down and so is now the time to talk about the Balrog? Sure. Okay, so everybody loves the Balrog, and in fact, when I talk to students about this this podcast, at least one person has been like and you're going to dedicate an entire episode to the Balrog, right? And I'm like, probably not. It'll probably go in the Stashbox <laughs> episode, but we got to hit on it. 
with Gandalf. Because the Balrog's only in, in this one section in Moria. It's one section. Durin's Bane is the Balrog, right? Yeah, where they delve too, too greedily, too dark, too deep. And they awaken the Balrog. Right. The Balrog being what to you? What's a ba- what's the Balrog to you? Well, it's it's a creature of shadow and smoke and flame. Um, very stereotypical demon-like, a giant creature with like bat-like wings. The flame dark, whip. Flame whip, dark head, big horns. I mean, it's also it's very it's like the the cartoon. Yeah, he's the devil. The cartoon devil with the horns and yeah. the pitchfork and. Replace pitchfork yeah. with a whip. Card Replace fi- the red cape with card fi- wh- like card demon 15. wings. Card fifteen. Card fifteen. Card fifteen in the tarot. Card fifteen. Yeah, the devil, right? Um, Pan, Baphomet, Baphomet. Uh, sure, he's an evil dude, and the Balrog is also. Uh, I think the Balrog's a Maiar. Also, we would have to check somewhere. I don't know where it would say that. So this we're talking. It would about give the Balrog being a Meyer would give the Balrog that sense of um, power, that being same able level. being able to duel with Gandalf. Right. Yeah. So this is a thing that's been on Middle Earth since the first age, uh, and it's probably been in hiding down under the mountain for anywhere between five and ten thousand years. Like it's been, um, it like worked with Sauron under Morgoth in some hideous capacity with dragons and other monsters. And uh, now it's been hiding. Are there more Balrogs? There are Balrogs mentioned in the, I think, in the Silmarillion. I think that they... Because it seems like... They fight against the... There's this big fight at the end of the First Age. Yeah, it seems like there should be multiple of them. Yeah, I think there were. They awakened a Balrog. It's It's not too different than Smog, right? Smog is a dragon. He's the last one, but there's there's there used to be a bunch. Right. He doesn't have a name. The so Balrog probably if like it. if they were part of the army that of Morgoth's army that was defeated, that would make sense that they like this one would go hide. Yeah, it's almost like pre not preverbal, but like it's it's nonverbal. It's almost like it's so I think of it kind of as a traumatized creature, right? It's been hiding for a long time. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. So it's angry and but it's also whatever. <laughs> that's my And the the being a Meyer would give it that power where Gandalf sees it on the other side of the door, barely closes it, and he comes back out of breath, panting, kind of exhausted, being like, I have never seen such power before. Like, it, I went up against it, and it almost broke me. Yeah, are and are you sure that's the book? That's the book. Okay. So he sees it, runs back, and then they have to confront it again on the bridge? Yes. He encounters it, and then they flee. It comes then- in into the into that room where it's there like they're going out that one door that they left unblocked and the balrog is there the fellowship doesn't see it except gandalf who yeah may see it may sense it so gandalf says something to that balrog before he fights it um he says i am a servant of the secret fire wielder of the flame of onor you shall not pass Right? You cannot pass. You may not pass. <laughs> oh, you're going to get ripped apart by the nerds on this one if you don't get that right. Well, I think it's different in the movie than in the book. You shall not pass in the movie, I believe. You cannot pass in the book. Yeah, you cannot pass. You cannot pass, he said. The orc stood still and a dead silence fell. I am the servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Arnor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udun. 
Go back to the shadow. You cannot pass. Okay. I think that no one knows what Flame of Honor means. And I think it's interesting that Tolkien kept it in the book, even though it's not clear. A flame of light? A servant of this... A servant of... What does he say? A servant of the secret fire. Yeah, and the the orc word for fire, gosh. And that's the only word. Blah, 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 blah. Page 356. Uh, Bridge of Kazakh Doom. As I stood there, I could hear orc voices on the other side. At any moment, I thought it, they would burst it open. I could not hear what was said. They seemed to be talking in their own hideous language. All I caught was gosh. That is yeah. fire. Yeah. Then something came into the chamber. I felt it through the door, and the orcs themselves were afraid and fell silent. It laid hold of the iron ring, and then it perceived me and my spell. What it was, I cannot guess, but I have never felt such a challenge. The counterspell was terrible. It nearly broke me. For an instant, the door left my control and began to open. I had to speak a word of command. That, pre that proved too great a strain. The door burst into pieces. Something dark as a cloud was blocking out all the light inside, and I was thrown backwards down the stairs. All the wall gave way, and the roof of the chamber as well, I think. This guy got this thing's got some power. Yeah, I mean it's also interesting how it's like a flame versus flame moment, right? Like Gandalf has to confront this flame beast. The flame of Undun. And then the, but he's the wielder of the secret fire. Mm-hmm. Both fires. Two fires. Yep. So I think what happens is this, and we don't hear about it until way later. When do we hear about it? We hear about it in Fangorn Forest, right? What happened, which is that he is pulled by the Balrog down off the down off the bridge. They fall way, way down. And this this warrants reading, I think. This is a fun piece. Long time I fell, he said, at last slowly, as if thinking back with difficulty. Long I fell and he fell with me. His fire was about me. I was burned. Then we plunged into the deep water and all was dark. Cold it was as the tide of death. Almost it froze my heart. Yet it has a bottom beyond light and knowledge. Thither I came at last to the utmost foundations of stone. He was with me still. His fire was quenched, but now he was a thing of slime, stronger than a strangling snake. We fought far under the living earth, where time is not counted. Ever he clutched me, and ever I hewed him, till at last he fled into dark tunnels. They were not made by Durin's folk, Gimli, son of Glowen. Far, far below the deepest delvings of the dwarves, the world is gnawed by nameless things. Even Sauron knows them not. They are older than he. Now I have walked there, but I will bring no report to darken the light of day. In that despair my enemy was my only hope, and I pursued him, clutching at his heel. Thus he brought me back at last to the secret ways of Khazad-dûm. Too well he knew them all. Ever up now we went until we came to the endless stair. And I'll stop reading there to note a couple things. He goes down so deep, he's like, we're, we're almost at like the edge of the construct. Like Middle-earth ceases to exist. We're in like a like a great old one Lovecraftian sort of zone where like even the god structure even of the Valar and the Maiar fall apart I think we're in like an ancient evil world the creation of the physical world the rock they've gone to like a, the planet the planet they've gone to a depth of like a psychological and physical depth so extreme that it's unrecognizably slimy and uh Eldritch. 
Well, is the place slimy or is the Balrog slimy? Because he went into the water, putting out the flame, and then he's just this, like, soggy, ashy mess. Yeah, but there's things down there gnawing the... I think he's referring to things other than the Balrog. Like, they're so freaking old. It also seems like this... That whole part seems so... It seems very, like, so far beyond that it's metaphorical. That's what like, I mean. It, like, yeah, yeah, like, it can't be... can only be spoken physical. of in... It can only be spoken of in metaphor. Right. Yeah. Anyways, the Endless Stair, they, then they climb up to the top of a mountain, right? And he throws the Balrog down. Right. And then he dies. Which is, in the end, that's another confusing thing, because they're, like, all the way down, and then they fight all the all way, way up. back up. And I, I, I initially thought, like, I fought him on in the deepest dungeon on the highest peak so like there's this in the dungeon there's this tall mountain but the tall mountain is very low and he's on this like snow top castle thing on that yeah but i think it was like kind of like i don't know going from the marianas trench up to like everest fighting that entire like elevation change Mm Hmm. yep which also seems it's superhuman. It seems impossible. It seems like not a chance could you do that. And it, the fight's over two days. It's like he's awake for 48 hours fighting. So this is definitely superhuman mm-hmm. stuff. Well, this is Gandalf's, like, Dark Knight of the Soul, right? His gri- Or or maybe, I don't know, it's the, it's the climax. Of, yeah, it's the last ride. He's crucified. Um, yeah. He, he dies. A great smoke rose about us, vapor and steam. Ice fell like rain. I threw down my enemy and he fell from the high place and broke the mountainside where he smote it in his ruin. This is Gandalf. This little dude <laughs> throws down this giant Balrog. They're, they're of the same caliber. Right. But Gandalf is a guy. He's in the body of a man. Uh, I threw down my enemy. He fell from the high place and broke the mountainside where he smote it in his ruin. <laughs> Then darkness, then darkness took me, and I strayed out of thought and time, and I wandered far on roads that I will not tell. Meaning he died, I think. Yep. Naked I was sent back for a brief time until my task was done, and naked I lay upon the mountaintop. Um, that's a complex thing that happens. I think that he dies. He is sent back to Valinor. His spirit leaves his body. Mm-hmm. He's sent back. Mm-hmm. They're Valinor like, don't, don't, like come, don't come back until the war's over. And Valinor, in this case, is uh, there's a parallel to heaven. It's like heaven, but it's also a place you can go. Heaven is closer to the to the middle. Everything's closer, right? Magic is closer. Yeah, you're not supposed to go there. Gandalf can't even get back in. They send him back naked. But I suspect that there's a transformation here to a different type of body. Yeah. I've always the the Gandalf the Gray is humanoid. Gandalf the White is also humanoid. I guess, but like, I don't know that he can be destroyed in the same way that Gandalf the Great. No, it's like it's like a humanoid 2.0. And they recognize him, but they It's don't. like a new model. It's like a it's like a Viper Mark 6 for I, all you Battlestar Galactica fans. <laughs> they also think he's Sauron at first, Saruman when they see him at first. There's almost like a moment where he doesn't recognize them. It's almost like he has to like do a quick check. Do a perception check. Right, and like he doesn't. Yeah, the mem- his memory is also like skewed because they're like Gandalf, and he's yeah. like, "Oh yeah, that was yeah, that my was name. Me, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, that's you used to call me that." He's got a lot. Dude's got a lot of names though. He does, and we're gonna get into that directly. 
I just think it might be pertinent here to note in terms of wizard. There's always like a classical wizard time memory issue. Famously, Merlin in T.H. White wrote a book called The Once and Future King, which establishes the notion that Merlin can remember the future but not the past, which is funny. Because if Gandalf were in the same position, he would be like, oh, you guys, I remember you from the future, but I don't remember that. I don't remember that I met you in the Shire. Okay, he's got a lot of names. Sure. So, Faramir. Faramir is the first person, I think, in this book who quotes Gandalf as, as using the name Aloran. The first and only reference to that name? I think maybe in Lord of the Rings. There's a, I just found one in the Silmarillion, too, so let's... Let's take a look at that. And if there's if there are these references, like this is the type of thing that the world is bigger, like there are still questions and mysteries, whereas like an Aragon book, like if you bring up that name, you're going to explain what it is and you're going to give the history of it. But this world of Middle-earth that Tolkien's created is large enough that there's that name and it's not necessarily, it's not explained in the book, but it's out there in the world. That's what makes the world more realistic because there's so much that exists, but we don't know. Okay, the Great Pilgrim. So this is the window on the west. Faramir talking to Frodo. He's talking about how the Great Pilgrim, that's Gandalf, comes by Minas Tirith and wants to go to the library all the time, right? This is when he's there, doing his yeah. research, trying to figure out the ring and the One Ring and Isildur's bane and all of that. Yeah. Faramir says, We in the house of Denethor know much ancient lore by long tradition, and there are moreover in our treasuries many things preserved, books and tablets, writ on withered parchment, yea, and on stone, and on leaves of silver and of gold, and diverse characters. Some none can now read, and for the rest few ever unlock them. I can read a little in them, for I have had teaching. It was these records that brought the gray pilgrim to us. I first saw him when I was a child, and he has been twice or thrice since then. The gray pilgrim, said Frodo, had he a name? Mithrandir, we called him in elf fashion, said Faramir, and he was content. Uh, and now this is italicized, and this is Gandalf talking. Faramir quoting Gandalf. Many are my names in many countries, he said. Mithrandir among the elves, Thrankun to the dwarves. Olorin I was in my youth in the west that is forgotten. In the south, in Canus, in the north, Gandalf. To the east, I go not. Um, someone else goes to the east. Yeah, we'll wizards. do. We're gonna do that. Saruman goes to the east. No, yeah. the blue dudes go to the east. Doesn't Saruman also goes to the east and get the easterlings on his side? No, he goes to the south and gets the Southrons. Southrons are with Sauron. Saruman gets some men though, like some men fighting. wild men living around Orthanc. Hmm. Maybe I don't know, but I want to dwell on this Aloran thing. There's two things. First of all, Aloran, I was in my youth in the West, that is forgotten. So the West, capital W. We're talking about Valinor, um, and it's his youth. But his youth was must have been thousands and thousands of years. And in my youth in the West, which is forgotten, forgotten by whom? By him, I suspect. I suspect he doesn't remember his life prior to the challenge. But he remembers his name. Yeah, and I don't maybe. And also maybe he didn't remember it. Well, when he spoke to Faramir, that's before the Balrog. Oh, yeah, incident. it's before he died. Yeah. So in the Silmarillion, um, in the section called Of the Maiar, wisest of the Maiar was Aloran. He too dwelt in Lorien, but his ways took him off into the house of Nienna, and of her he learned pity and patience. And that's the only thing here. There might be more, but that's, that's quick. 
Uh, and that's interesting to me because that suggests that as a Loren, he dwelt in in Lorien, presumably like before. I guess before the elves were even came into existence, they're sort of like building Middle Earth for the elves, and then I think they leave to they go down. The, the Valar and the Maiar in the Art. Silmarillion they're like crafting this place but it doesn't make sense because then they go to Valinor and then they're like hey elves come all the way to Valinor cross over Lorien where they have the- a crush on the elves and like oh we're gonna build you this we're gonna like buy you this house so you can live here but then like then come live with us they have a crush on the elves the same way that uh, Yahweh has a crush on Adam and Eve and he wants them mm. wants them to live in the Garden of Eden and be content. So I mean, that's one. Re- that's a naive reading. So like, okay, like, kind of like a crush, or kind of like children. There's like this love desire to do good things for these people. And then there's a notion in Abrahamic Curious. in Abrahamic religion, and I I don't know where it comes from. I think it comes out of Islam more than Judaism or Christianity. That um, the devil Iblis, maybe or whoever. Like that, his sin is that he refuses to bow down before humans. Have you ever heard that notion that Satan is Satan because he's so his fealty to Yahweh or Allah, whoever you want to call that dude, his fealty is so strong that he refuses the order to bow down and serve humans because humans are fucking disgusting, <laughs> right? <laughs> Right, and so and so, Gross. God is like you're punished forever. But maybe the punishment is just I hate these people. The inherit the children of Iluvatar. The elves are so repulsive, and so even though they're not mortal, compared to Morgoth, they're they're stupid little pink objects running around acting like they run the world. Who's viewing them this way? Morgoth. Aha. Uh-huh. Anyways, Alorn. Gandalf is Alorn. He's been around since the beginning. Um. He's like an archangel, or, or like a, a like a cherub, of, um, Lorien. Which is nuts. That must ha- and that must have something to do with why he's so at home. And well, he's not. We we don't see him in Lorien. He's quote dead when the yeah. party gets to Lorien. And Galadriel's like, I I do not sense his presence. Yeah, she's probably bummed. I want to say a couple times Gandalf demonstrates really kind of classic D&D moves. And I think it's another good example of how fantasy tabletop role playing is deeply like springs basically whole cloth from like the Middle Earth world. Um, he's always doing these tricks, minor illusion kind of things. Thaumaturgy is sometimes called in, in D&D where he like puts on a little show to achieve a like a charisma check. Like when he tries to, he he grows a little bigger in the room with Bilbo. He's like, "You got to get rid of the ring," and I'm starting to get pissed off. You're gonna see who I really am. And like the light dims, yep. and he grows bigger. And Bilbo's like, "Shit, okay, I take you seriously." And then he he does a similar thing in the Hall of Theoden, right? He's like he's like um he pulls okay Obi Wan is Obi Wan Kenobi is another classic wizard. There are like no weapons inside, and and we've specifically been told not to let you bring your staff in, you sneaky ass wizard. And he's like, "Oh, you wouldn't deny an old man his staff, would his you?" Walking staff. Yeah, and they're like, "Nope, go ahead." That's that's like a these are not the droids you're looking for moment, right? Like he he tricks them using sorcery. This is from uh, essay on the Astari. Of this order, the Order of the Wizards, 
the number is unknown, but of those that came to the north of Middle-earth, where there was most hope, because of the remnants of the Dúnedain and of the Eldar that abode there, the chiefs were five. The first to come was one of noble mien and bearing, with raven hair and a fair voice, and he was clad in white. That's Saruman, right? Great skill he had in works of hand, and he was regarded by well-nigh all, even by the Eldar, as the head of the order. Others there were also, two clad in sea blue, and one in earthen brown, and last came one who seemed less tall than the others, and in looks more aged, gray-haired and gray-clad, and leaning on a staff. But Curdan, from their first meeting at the Grey Havens, divined in him the greatest spirit and the wisest, and he welcomed him with reverence, and he gave to his keeping the third ring, Narya the Red. There's a couple important points there, right? One is that, again, with Gandalf being vulnerable, being like, um, yeah, he's the smallest, right? Gandalf the lesser. He's tiny. Uh, and there's also this issue of there being... So Radagast is the brown one, right? Saruman's the white one. Gandalf's the gray one. These conspicuous two blue wizards. We got to talk about these uh, <clears throat> other four wizards briefly, given that this is an episode on the Astari. I feel like there's a lot of stuff about Gandalf still to say, but we can't talk all day about Gandalf. Or we shouldn't talk all day about Gandalf. What do you know about Radagast? <laughs> Let me maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna hit no, this. I, I don't know where, yeah, I know I don't know where I read this though. Somewhere. Probably in the appendices at the end of the Lord of the Rings. That of the five of the five Astari, Gandalf's the only one that succeeded in his mission because the blue guys are lost. The the brown guy, Radagast. The blue guys went east, right? Yeah, east and south. Yep. And uh the um Saruman became enamored with becoming... He became like a new, another Sauron. He wanted to gain power. He becomes enamored with power. Radagast does not. Radagast becomes enamored with Middle-earth. He loves the animals. He loves nature. All he wants to do is yeah, hang the earth, out. The earth itself. Yeah. Nature. Sea, crunchy hippie, crunch, crunchy granola, sea, hippies, sea, recluse, sea, living in a cabin in the wilderness... Yeah, so who... That type of thing. We only hear about him in the Council of Elrond. Yeah. I feel like he makes an appearance in The Hobbit. I feel in The Hobbit, uh, Gandalf goes off and finds Radagast. Um, so Radagast in the Council of Elrond... Uh, Radagast never makes an appearance in the books, in any book. Not an appearance, no. Right. Raz, here's... here's, here's um, Gandalf on the subject of Radagast. Radagast is, of course, a worthy wizard, a master of shapes and changes of hue, and he has much lore of herbs and beasts, and birds are especially his friends. But Saruman has long studied the arts of the enemy himself, and thus we have often been able to forestall him. It was by the devices of Saruman that we drove him from Dol, Dol Guldor. It may be that he had found some weapons that would drive back the Nine. Um... I will go to Saruman, I said. Then you must go now, said Radagast, for I have wasted time in looking for you, and the days are running short. I was told to find you before midsummer, and that is now here. Even if you set out from this spot, you will hardly reach him before the nine discover the land that they seek. I myself shall return at once. And with that, he mounted and would have ridden straight off. Stay a moment. What's he making him wait for? 
Um, whatever. Is he implying that Radagast was tricked? Gandalf was implying that Radagast was tricked? Tolkien is implying. I think in this moment, Radagast is definitely... Like, Sauron is still the white and the leader of the count and the head of the order leader of the council so Radagast is definitely subservient to Sauron at this moment but Sauron also at this moment is acting out of his own evil intentions to capture Gandalf mm-hmm. who told you and who sent you Sauron the white answered Radagast and he told me to say that if you feel the need he will help but you must seek his aid at once or it will be too late. Right. Radagast is freaked out because he, he knows that the riders are going to a place called Shire. And Gandalf's like, the Shire! Um, and Radagast's like, you gotta go see Saruman. And mm-hmm. that's a trick. But Radagast doesn't know it's a trick. Correct. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty short walk-on for Radagast. He reminds me a lot of uh, Friar John in Romeo and Juliet who makes an incredibly short walk-on only to be, to mess something up. Like, he, he has to deliver a letter to Rome and he just doesn't do it. He gets caught up with this thing. Um, but he's like Friar Lawrence. They're like the wizards or whatever. Gandalf is to Friar Lawrence as Radagast is to Friar John. Sure. Okay. Radagast. Um, Radagast the brown. Radagast the bird tamer. Radagast the simple. Radagast the fool is something like what Saruman says about him. Yep, utter disdain for yep. for Radagast, who's chosen like the low, dirty paths. Where yeah, some people just don't like birds. I guess <laughs> um, Saruman, being a, a a hater of nature in general, a, a disciple of death, right? Yeah, a destroyer of trees. Sure. Um, and an industrial. Oh, birds live in trees. Yeah, he's also he's also like <laughs> yeah he does have an opposition to birds. Guaihir saves. Gwai here, the Gwaihir evil the, king, yeah, saves, saves Gandalf from the tower. Right, allow um, like gives Gandalf multiple rides mm-hmm. throughout the stories. Yeah, and and so like we have at one extreme Radagast, who is so in love with birds and animals that he doesn't do his job, and Saruman on the other extreme, who is the the nature of his job has he's neurotically pursued like sort of like a cleanliness or like a authority there's a real sense and we'll get into this in the evil episode there's a real sense of the denuding of the forest and the the like shaving down of everything into oh, yeah that's really interesting because like then that becomes industry rather than nature mm-hmm. and then you can think about industry as we use steel and concrete to make bridges except in this one place in India where it rains like 500 inches a year, they use trees to make bridges. Yeah. And like the rain would make the industry, the world makes the industrial bridge weaker while it makes the natural bridge stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Saruman is industry. And he's inflexible. He's a disciple of death. He's inflexible, kind of like concrete mm-hmm. brick, and that only builds so high before it uh, before it collapses. Yeah, and bit like skyscrapers have to like are built with a little bit of like movement because if they're not, they can only go so tall before they collapse. Saruman starts playing a real role in the two towers, right? I mean, one of the towers is Orthanc. That's the notion, right? Um, I got a couple things to say about Saruman from the porch. Orthanc as a tower is also very stable. Like ants throwing rocks against it don't even dent it. 
the doors are built that's the old technology of Numenor and it is like unbreakable undentable unmarrable yeah interesting Un doesn't bend whereas Gandalf doesn't even have a home he just travels around yeah the pilgrim right he's not like um, cloistered up so a couple things that Saruman has his breakdown from the porch of Orthanc basically and in the audiobook that we have listened to I think that the reader does a great job of modulating his voice between the calm self-assured Saruman who because Gandalf says to them don't let him talk don't listen to him he's gonna ensorcel you with his words again with the like D&D connection he has um charm person yeah charm yeah he can he can compel them to do things <laughs> neurolinguistic programming he's a master of these techniques and then is it then that also goes back to magic is it a power that he has like sort of like conjuring flame in like your hand or is it he understands the tone the inflection and how to play yeah. those things like those emotions that already exist yeah he's a rhetor- he's a rhetorician I would say I would I feel like in this book it's somewhere it's somewhere between the two. So again, here are my four points about Saruman from the Porch of Orthanc. One, he thinks that Gandalf wants Orthanc, then Barad-dûr, despite Gandalf's true plans. He projects onto Gandalf his own intentions. He's like, "Oh, you're here trying to take this place from me, and then you're going to you're going to try to take Barad-dûr because he, I think he must assume that Gandalf, like him, is in the same psychological position oh, of God. just wanting to become the next dude, the next You're, Dark Lord. That would just like it's it's a control thing. Like like you can't give it up. You can't ha- let someone else have something. That's what it feels but like. But Gandalf doesn't want that. Right? He doesn't even want it. Yeah. Yeah. Saruman wants to make himself the new Dark Lord. That's the and yeah. The imagine Galadriel says a similar thing, right? Um, I'd be queen. You'd. I'd be terrible in my dark in my, and terrible. Yeah, um, rather than what dark lord, you'd have a queen, dark and terrible. Right, sure. There, Saruman's not even in the presence of the ring, and he can talk like that. Um, so, anyways, uh, he's also angry that that Gandalf stands with quote lesser men uh, versus, I assume, uniting with like other evil wizards slash Maiar in an alliance against, like to control. See supremacy, we're better than they are. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Why Gandalf? Why are you standing with lesser men? Um, although everyone is a lesser man to Saruman, like he's he's pro- he's presumably talking about elves and all men. Right. You know, he's not even talking about like common folk. I mean, he's probably also directly to men rather than elves. He's also with because the ro- Aragorn because yeah. he wants to rest- like restore Aragorn to the throne. Plus, yeah, in Gan- the realm of men, the age of men. And in the scene, Gandalf is riding with the Rohirrim. They're they're not even like. Am I correct? I would say Rohirrim, but that's yeah, also sorry. see movies. Rohirrim. Rohirrim. Yeah, but he's with them, right? Saruman hates and fears quote the wild woods. He's the enemy of the wild woods. It's part of his industrial disorder, right? Got it. Got to cut down. I like that. I like that idea of an industrial disorder. Mm-hmm. Got to cut down the trees and make a space, a big circular space where you can see the sky. This is an old, and I don't know what I'm quoting from, but this is an old notion that, like Puritanism, forest is evil, the devil lives there, so do Native Americans, right? Pagans. We clear it out and we make a big space because in a big space you can see the sky 
and if you can see the sky, then you're in communion with your God or your or your auguries, things you need to look at, stars or the flight of birds or whatever. And you can't get those messages from the woods because you're under a canopy. Is there also an element of OCD to that? Yes. Control, like like this control. Yeah, it's neurotic. Yeah, for sure. Heavy We're neuroses. Get back into this with the nature. Now I'm thinking, like, oh man, the Puritans that settled many parts of this country, like, they were neurotic. Oh what hell neuro- yeah! Like, how many of those neuroses have stayed mostly intact? All of them. <laughs> All of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> last last point about Saruman: the effect of his voice uh, and how he accidentally slips out of authority and command. He is trying very hard in the scene to maintain his charm person effect he's trying to concentrate on it but he's so pissed off at Gandalf he keeps slipping out of it I think it's a beautiful scene I won't read it uh, I just think people should go back and read it it's a fun scene um, and you should listen to the audiobook renditions of it I want to talk about the blue guys alright two blue wizards you got anything else you want to say about Saruman uh, Saruman of many colors what's that about he says that to Gandalf right I don't know what he means by that Gandalf says it to him. Saruman is the one of many colors, and then like as Pippin was looking, he noticed that there was like this shimmer of Saruman's cloaks where it was actually red and green and yellow and orange and white, like Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I'm pretty sure that Saruman says to Gandalf, I am Saruman of many colors. Yeah, sure. When he's about to cat when he when he when he's tricking him. I don't know what I've never known what it meant though. I assume it means this. There's something- I I'm unsatisfied with a singular designation. I'm I need to have the whole, everything. I need to have it all. Mm. There's an iridescent quality to it of the many colors. There's like is, a shimmery, shiny. Is it meant to be deceptive? Or you do you feel like it's deceptive? I like a many colored white personally. You know, I like the idea that white light can be split into many colors. Right. When I was in art school, we had a freshman year painting challenge watercolor take a white styrofoam cup filled with snow and then paint it yeah without using white mm-hmm. word all we had was the white of the paper these blue wizards i'm not going to chase down the part where it says one went south one went west i'm pretty sure that's in the east e- yeah pretty sure east one went south one went east i'm not going to track that down i'm pretty sure it's in the essay on the astari the notion must be that they failed because the men of the East and the men of the South failed. They joined League with Sauron. Also, that's speculation of their mission was to keep those men from joining Sauron. Sure, and they failed. Which is their, the stories as Delta Force to, yeah, over, that, like, to destroy Sauron. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, I and have that this, makes, that also makes Gandalf's, like, mission way, I don't know, way more brilliant, I guess. Or like, because he's so outnumbered. Yeah, by he's, failure, he's so outnumbered, and his his like the way that he does it is by sending two halflings, like recruiting yeah. two halflings to basically of their own volition and through their own virtue and like whatever, go into the realm of darkness, going into hell to destroy the yeah. like the one thing of power that. Is essentially a, a Horcrux for Sauron. Yep, it is. Uh, it's the unforeseen move. Saruman couldn't have anticipated it. 
Sauron could not have anticipated it. It's 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 consistently mentioned that like it's uh, the, of course Sauron of course Saruman couldn't think of it. He needs to be controlled. He's rigid. He thinks no, and, who would possibly throw the ring? And Gandalf away? is like this. Like it's on you. You go. Like that's the yeah. ultimate trust move. Yeah, that's ultimate trust. Yeah, because yeah. also if like if the world is for not if the world is not for the Astari and the Maiar, and the world is for the like men and dwarves and hobbits because the elves are also leaving at this point but uh-huh. if the world is for them then they need to sort of claim it in a way so like he can't it can't just be like he gives it to him yeah, you don't he think can't so just do it that's how it ends in the, fir- the first age ends that way right so they have to like in a way that they have to earn it so he's like this is your like this is your fight like yeah. i'm, I'm a, maybe i'm a coach and you're the team you have to do this i will coach and i will do all this other stuff and i will also coach the defense of minas tirith but you all got to do it it's good quiet leadership from gandalf because and and then every every now and then there's like oh then the Tao like good quiet leadership where like they don't really know that it was him but they then the people at the end Look, say we did it ourselves it was so easy we did it ourselves yep. which they did set up by gandalf yeah mm-hmm. okay so these other guys the blue guys I want to. I want to. This is kind of stepping into episode seven kind of territory. But I want to. I want to. I've always been fascinated by the notion that these two guys. What's the nature of their failure? <clears throat> why are they wearing blue? Uh, like, why are there two of them? And why is the south and the and the east? Why are they like interchangeable? We get two different blue wizards for the two different places. They're destined to fail, right? And there's a long-standing concern about racism with the Southrons and the and the men of the west. East. The men of the East, um, and how how easily kind of folded into Sauron's evil army they are, right? Check this out. Let's say you're a blue wizard. You know, you're a Maiar coming from Valinor in 1000 of the Third Age. You show up, and you're scoping out the situation there, and, and you get out, you get out south, down south into Herod, right? Far Herod, way down. We don't even know what's going on there. This whole wasn't there a King Herod in the Bible? There was. It's spelled different. Okay. Yeah, Her- Herod. Right. Maybe we should call it Herod. You're way down in Herod. In surely there's a thriving civilization down there. You know what I mean? There's all kinds. There's a whole continent down yeah. there. Uh let's look at the real world for a second, and look. Let's look at the the distribution of resources and power in relation to like Europe and the rest of the world. Or even the North and South Hemispheres, right? Take South America, for example. Mm. Um, is it a failure when when the Southern Hemisphere people join forces with someone who is in opposition to what's basically like a restored Numenorean Empire? Like, what is what's the actual dynamic here? The Numenoreans, there 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 are people inhabiting an island halfway between the god realm and middle earth and they come ch- to shore and they immediately set up like a, a colony situation yeah, they colonize except it. Numenor's destroyed so they can't go back but there's a supremacy model and they dominate um, they dominate all the lands and all the people I mean are they importing blackberries from South America the whole time are they importing you know like are the men of Her- Harad and, and the the men of the east are they serving the Numenorean commercial empire machine? 
and it's just not spoken of in these books. What are those places? What's happening? So that's a question that's coming all from you? Yes. My point being, like, you're Blue Wizard number one, and you're down in, in Far Harad, and you're hearing all these stories. You know, up north, there's this situation, and the way you're hearing about it is that there's these, like, Numenorian, restored Numenorian government kind of thing, and they're, you know, maybe they're ex- extracting um, rent and resources from Far Harad and from, and from the east. I mean, this coastal region... It's basically like Europe. It's just like this piece sticking off the end of a massive continent. Like Europe can be sometimes understood as just like this tiny appendage of Asia, right? Sticking out. Why are so many resources from Africa and Asia and eventually the Americas being extracted? I mean, the answer is global, like industrial imperial capitalism. We have no reason to assume that that's not the function here. And so... What if you're down in the Far Harad and the people are telling you there arises up north some sort of opposition, right? A being, a leader, a person, a demagogue, whatever, someone who is going to free us from the shackles of Numenorean socioeconomic compulsion or enslavement, right? Wouldn't it be reasonable to say, oh, the mission has changed, like, I came here thinking that I needed to defeat Sauron, but in fact, Sauron is the champion of the people. He's he's the potential champion of the Southrons and the Easterlings in the absence of any other means. They have no other means of opposing the Numenorean industrial economic machine of rent extraction. So you're, you're contesting that the Numenoreans who are moving into Europe... Let's think of them as Europeans who are who are extracting resources from Asia, Africa, and the Americas. So they're going to take all the they're they're moving into Europe and they're going to take all the oil out of the Middle East and they're going to take all the factory and have the like China make all the factory goods yeah. that they need for their luxury and comfort. Mm-hmm. So and they're going to do that through military through exactly. gunboat diplomacy. They're going to take over the Easterlings. <clears throat> And the South Rons, and I like just have them serve their luxury and comfort yeah. in their castles. The notion being that you guys are all evil. You guys are all evil and brown. And we are Numenorean descended. Uh, you know, Gondor is the inheritor of the Numenorean legacy. We're, we're, we're pure blood Numenoreans. Yeah, it's a minority group of people. I mean, look at the map. There's like this, this minor, this, the northwest of this giant continent that's so big it's not even on the map super explicitly detailed identifiers for like uh, regions and cities and forest and, and geographical locations and then it's just like you know giant blank nothingness to the east to the west to the east giant blank nothingness to the south it's very much like how old maps in Europe used to depict something called Tartaria which was just code for everything beyond the borders of what we know probably the golden horde or like the post-mongol empire confederacy a sophisticated form of social organization sophisticated and complex social organization that's massive but totally ignored by the european map makers because it because it's easier to understand it as a big blank nothingness from which to extract rent and resources right so the same thing with middle earth map large spaces of nothing 
yet they send thousands and thousands and thousands of soldiers. So there must be huge civilizations to have this many able-bodied mm-hmm. men to send to war. And those are two civilizations at least to whom Istari journeyed. And were either, you could say maybe they were killed, right? That seems pretty difficult given what <laughs> what Gandalf went through with the Balrog. But more likely they, they've, uh, to me, it's more likely that they found the cause sympathetic. Speculation on your part. Of course, yeah. The, I mean, these blue wizards aren't even in the book. Right. Radagast is barely in the book. Right. I have nothing else to say about wizards, the Astari. You want to close this out, or you got anything else to say? What did I, how did I start the episode? Gandalf is manifesting the quest. Yeah. Um, so this is like when we were talking about magic, and that you manifest something, and that's sort of the form of magic. Gandalf seems to be manifesting the quest of the ring. He's he's like the puppet master. He's traveling all over. He's researching things in Minas Tirith and the libraries. He's recruiting Frodo. He's the leader of the fellowship. He And he kind of empowers, and he's empowering these, I guess he empowers Frodo to kind of make decisions on his own. Like each piece, he's trying to have them all act independently and come together, but he cannot control anyone. He can't control Theoden and getting the riders of Rohan rohan to come to fight uh on the fields of pelinor he can't control the guard at minas Tirith. he can do a little bit wherever he is he does what he can but he's seems to be kind of the puppet master with like very with like strings everywhere he's more like the master as referred to in the Tao de ching right he's the master of like He's not like the puppet the, master. The He's master like in who, the mesh. He's the master who does without doing. Yeah. Who works without moving. He doesn't work against the current. He works in the current. Yeah. He's one with the current. And he's sending, so like Frodo and Sam go off and he's like, yep, that piece is like, that's set adrift on the river. That's flowing. It'll be where it is. I'm going to go set another piece. Aragorn's doing this thing with the... Aragorn like sent to the Rohirrim and then Aragorn goes on his separate way so that's another piece floating down another river and he's like kind of has his finger in all the pies he demonstrates the confidence necessary to do magic he has an intention he sets the intention he proceeds with absolute faith it doesn't mean yeah it's he... the faith it's the trust but it's that's not the huge yeah but a it's, huge point with him it's a weird sort of faith though because it's not it's not kind of like um an anxious neurotic uh not need, at all need to achieve a goal he's just already can he can foresee the ending yeah he's calm he's calm he's got his humor we see him being anxious in moria and not being able to sleep right and that may, uh, I don't even, know. That's even, what that makes that moment even all to more be, telling. Even to be one with that anxiety is to be in the flow, right? Saruman would fight against that anxiety, try to overcome it, put up a... I mean, we know leaders like this. We know <laughs> leaders like this. Um, we know people in leadership positions like this. <laughs> we, that's a better way of putting it. Um, but in, So Gandalf is like, rather than fighting it, he's like, all right, Pippin, you go have a sleep. Uh, I need smoke. I need to smoke and just like yeah. sit and chill and relax and let myself have some time to think about this rather than like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I need yeah, a decision, patient, decision, decision. Ah, everyone's waiting on me. Ah. There's a line from a Meat Puppet song. 
I don't have to think. I only have to do it. The results are always perfect. I think about that line a lot when I think about projects mm. like this podcast or any other project I engage in where like, you know, I said the, the plan is already laid out. It's the it's the, yeah, getting say, like yeah. the idea of flow state getting into it. The idea of flow state from Mihai checks it Mihai. We're going to send Frodo and Sam into mortar. <clears throat> we It's already done. Like, yeah. Like that's, that's, it has to be done. That's what's done. There you go. It's sent. Decision made. 